Our Bible reading this morning um, is from 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 to 18. <clears throat> You'll find it on page 965 of the Pew Bible, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 to 18. <clears throat> but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death has at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Lower out ourself is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day to day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are seen are unseen. But, sorry, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Well, can I say again, it is really wonderful to be with you. Um, and initially, I just want to say a massive thank you for uh, all the support um, that you have given to Open Doors and therefore to our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world over the years. Um, I've been with Open Doors for five years now, and um, I've always been aware of, of, your, of your financial giving and your, uh, your prayers. And so, first of all, when I contacted Stephen, it was because of that, to say, can I come and thank the people here for all of that help and support that you've faithfully given? It really uh, does make a massive difference. Um, and as I come today, I want to talk to you about reasons for hope. Reasons for hope. Um, we have all been through a challenging couple of years, haven't we? Um, we have faced something that many of us have never experienced before. Certainly as believers, we've met scattered, worshipping at home and online. And then when we joined together again, we did so with masks on, which restricted our ability to sing and greet each other and have fellowship. And few of us could have ever predicted that could happen. And I don't know what life has been like for you in the last few years. Uh, personally, uh, for me, it's been tough. As I, I've been separated from my family in England, not able to travel and see them. And my dad, who went into a home at the beginning of lockdown. And watching my mom not able to visit him because of the restrictions in that care home as his dementia worsened. To the point where he died three weeks ago. And we had his funeral last week. The last couple of years have been really tough for me. And maybe you've got your own story of loss, of grief, of, of illness, of pain, of suffering. So as we come this morning, I want to lay all that on the table and say that's where I'm coming from. That this isn't just rhetoric about a Christian charity. This is about hope and light in the darkness. 
And I want to tell you about our brothers and sisters, as you've heard with the kids this morning, who inspire hope in us. And we're also going to look at that passage of scripture that we read earlier together. Because what if isolation and restriction were permanent? What if breaking restrictions to attend church could see you get more than just a fine? What if lockdown was more severe and your faith could see you put in prison? Well, welcome to the persecuted church. Here's a video which summarizes what life is like for followers of Jesus in the top 10 countries of the world watch list, the 10 most dangerous places to follow Jesus in our world today. We'll watch this together, thank you. There are countries where Christians live in fear, where churches are bombed and houses burned, where following Jesus means sacrificing jobs, security, family. There are countries where you must keep your faith secret or it might get you killed. These are the countries of the Open Doors World Watch List. And here are the 10 countries where following Jesus costs the most. Number 10, India. Many extremists claim that to be Indian is to be Hindu. They want an India without religious minorities and they are using violence to achieve it. Number nine, Iran. Iranian Christians must meet secretly. Being discovered could mean long sentences in appalling prisons. Number eight, Pakistan. Christians in Pakistan are considered second-class citizens. Innocent believers are falsely accused of blasphemy. Thousands of women are victims of kidnap and forced conversion. Number seven, Nigeria. Nigeria is the country where Christians face the most outright violence. Many Christians have been killed or driven from their homes. Number six, Eritrea. More than 1,000 Christians are imprisoned for their faith in Eritrea. Some pastors have been locked up for over a decade without charge. Number five, Yemen. Yemeni culture is tribal. Those who leave the tribal faith could be banished or even killed. Number four, Libya. In this lawless land, Libyan Christians have to keep their faith secret or risk punishment, arrest or death. Number three, Somalia. Islamist extremists consider Somali Christians high value targets. So the tiny population of only a few hundred secret believers keep out of sight. Number two, North Korea. There are around 400,000 Christians in North Korea. All of them must hide their faith. Discovery means exile, execution, or being worked to death in horrific labor camps. Number one, Afghanistan. The Taliban takeover means that Afghanistan is the new number one, the most dangerous place in the world to be a Christian. Many Christians have become refugees those who remain must keep their faith utterly secret. There are countries where Christians live in fear, but fear can lead to courage and courage leads to hope. At least 360 million Christians around the world 
experience high levels of persecution and discrimination. But they have not given up. And for over 65 years, Open Doors has stood with them. Where Christians are persecuted, our global underground networks supply smuggled Bibles and Christian books, spiritual care, emergency food and aid, training and legal advice. Where Christians are free, we work with local churches to raise our voices in prayer, to speak truth to those in power, to strengthen our persecuted family around the world. Because there are countries where Christians have to stay silent, and there are countries where Christians can make a noise. But we are all connected. We are all family, and together we can help one another to follow Jesus, no matter the cost. Po from Vietnam, which is number 19 on the world watch list, remembers the first time he told his mother and father, I am a believer of God. Six words that changed his life forever. Immediately, Poe's father gathered all the family relatives and the villagers to force his son to renounce his faith. And wanting to please his father and fearing for his own life, Poe did it. He obeyed. But in his heart, he knew he still loved Jesus. A year later, after separating from his family, from his parents, in an attempt to lead his own family, Poe took the bold step of sharing his faith again. He even told his parents he was now part of a church and was attending worship gatherings with his wife and her family. And almost immediately, the same scene from a year earlier began to unfold again. His father gathered the relatives and the villagers, and this time the village chief came along to force Poe to renounce his faith. From 8 p.m. to 3 a.m., they taunted, mocked, and pressured him. But this time, Poe stood firm. He said, I knew in my heart I would never renounce my faith again. Some seven hours later, the village chief gave Poe an ultimatum to think about his decision. And Poe and his wife May knew it was a, cho a choice that would change their lives forever. They would be banned from the village, abandoned by the people they grew up with, including family and friends. And during those 72 hours, Poe and May prayed asking God for, for wisdom and guidance to know what to do and to protect them in the aftermath. When the three days were up, they stood by their decision. They would not renounce their faith. They would still follow Jesus. They left the village. That would be their choice. But the dad didn't give up. This time, instead of renounce or die, he came at Poe with a financial approach and he demanded that his son paid him 10 million dong, which is the equivalent of 434 pounds. Poe didn't have the money. He couldn't have paid if he wanted to because Poe didn't bend. He said, no, I will still follow Christ. So the attacks became physical. One incident involved the police from local villages standing by and watching as Poe's dad and uncle attacked him. And the police officers stood by, let them carry on. Other villagers tried to stop the violence, saying, stop, renounce your faith. If you don't do it, he's going to kill you. But Poe said, no, I still won't give up. I've come this far. I will continue to follow Christ. Poe's story, as we've heard, is one of just 360 million around the world. 
And those figures, as we've seen, change as you go into different countries. The one in five in Africa, or two in five in Asia. Look along your pew. What would that look like if those figures were applicable here? What would that look like if that was your family? Well, the reality is it is, and we need to do something about it. And as you've seen on the video, every year Open Doors produces the World Watch List. Research into the most dangerous places where we follow Jesus around the world today. And this list, this booklet, this guide that you can receive every year is like a family newsletter. I don't know if you've ever had them from friends or family where they send around a letter about little Johnny who's passed his grade five piano or, 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 or somebody else who's done really well in their hockey or uh, they've been on a holiday that year. And you get these newsletters. We get one every year from the same family. And it's great to read what's happening. But this kind of newsletter, this kind of family update, is so worth it. It's so much more fulfilling and enriching because as you read their stories, you will get all of the hope that comes in those stories. Because the reality is that this map that's going to come up on the screen, the World Watch List map that highlights where those countries are, those 50 countries, it looks like bad news. There's never been a more dangerous time to follow Jesus. Quite simply, persecution has reached pandemic proportions. Last year, for the first time, all 50 countries on the list are in the two highest categories of persecution, high or extreme levels, the orange and the red on the map. So it's never been more difficult. It's never been more dangerous. And you can look at that and you can say, this is bad news. And sometimes I go places and they hear that open doors are coming to speak and I see people's faces glaze over. As they think, here's the bad news. They're going to make us look, feel guilty, put our hands in our pockets and take our money. That's not what I'm here for today. I'm here to bring you reasons for hope. Because what would need to happen for that, that map to be wiped clean? It's quite simple. I mean, I asked it in a local school recently uh, in a Christian union. And, and they came up with all kinds of really intellectual answers. World peace and leaders to be removed from power and all kinds of stuff. I said, no, it's easier. Poe would just have to renounce his faith, just give in, and millions like him just saying, I'm going to give up. I can't do this anymore. But the fact that the numbers are getting worse, that the map is getting more red and orange than ever before, tells us that that is not happening. People aren't giving up. So why should we? Let's not stop following Jesus, because they never do. And in our reading today, we heard the Apostle Paul writing to a bunch of believers who needed to hear some reasons for hope. The early church were persecuted Christians. It wasn't an easy life. And they were reading this letter from this hero of the faith, Paul, who knew what it was like to both persecute and be persecuted. So when he's writing, he's an expert on the subject. And it's why I like to, why I like to listen to the words, not read them, because they would have had them read to them. They would have had this letter arrive from Paul and they would have all gathered the Corinthian church to hear this letter from this hero. And they would have been filled with hope as he read what we have had read to us today. So as we look at those words, we are reading from persecuted Christians, writing to persecuted Christians. These are living words that speak to our persecuted family today, but also speak to us. So here's the first reason for hope. That we get knocked down, but we're ultimately not knocked out. You see, life on earth is hard. 
And as Paul writes here, there's almost this picture that he's creating of a fight, of a battle, of, of punch after punch being thrown at him. And he doesn't hold back on the things he's been through and the things that the persecuted church around the world and in those days were experiencing. Look at the passage there. It, 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 it point, points at being knocked out and, and knocked down. Because life on earth is hard and, and Jesus never hid this fact. John 16, verse 33, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And famously in Matthew 16, he told his disciples that if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It was never in the small print with Jesus. Suffering and hardship for, for following Christ is not an optional extra for the really keen ones of us. Life is hard when we choose to follow the way of the cross. And Paul doesn't hide it here. He'd spent a lifetime suffering for Jesus. And he says we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed, knocked down, but not knocked out, he could have said. And maybe these are words and emotions that you can relate to at times, especially over the last couple of years. I certainly can over the last three weeks. And it's why the persecuted church are so important to us, that we connect with them, because sometimes we think we're giving to them, poor them, let's send them money, let's pray for them. The reality is, when we give to them, we get so much back in return. So it's why I want to invite you today to connect with them, to sign up to receive those family newsletters, either at the beginning of the year with the World Watch List, or to have uh, emails and things sent to your letterbox. Not for open doors benefit. I don't want to send them out because we get anything from it. Because you need to hear their stories and connect with your church family so you can receive their reasons for hope in your own challenges and hard times. Poe prays for you. People like Poe pray for you. Whenever I've traveled overseas or had people come to this country and we ask them, how can we pray for you? The next question they ask in return is what about the church in Ireland? What do we need to pray for our brothers and sisters there? Poe says this, my prayers for all those who are in the same situations as me is that they will stand strong in their faith. They're praying for you guys. They want you to keep going too. Here's our second reason for hope. Resurrection power is on display. Why was Paul able to be so resilient as he writes to these Corinthian believers? What was Paul hanging on to? Well, for Paul, it really was that classic Sunday school answer. Jesus. The answer to everything. Jesus. Paul knew it. It was like this megaphone cranked up to full volume that the resurrection of Jesus was this message that declared that God is bigger than suffering. God is bigger than death even. And that amazingly, the, that the pains and chains of any hardship we'll face or any suffering of our persecuted family around the world are the gains for the gospel. That when suffering happens, victory comes out the other end. And we see in the text here, verse 6, it's just before what we read together, Paul says that the light of Jesus lives in us, in our bodies, in our jars of clay, he calls them these fragile, broken uh, bodies. 
That's where Jesus lives. The, the resurrected Jesus is in us. And then verse 10 and 11, he says, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that, that life may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal bodies. This is Paul writing this as a persecuted Christian, and it could be written by persecuted believers today who say it looks like we're dying, but actually as we die, as we, as we suffer, we have life being revealed in what we're going through. And Paul knew this. He had this attachment with Christ. He wanted to share in Christ's suffering, he says in his other letters. And Paul believed that the unstoppable power of Jesus could turn anything around, could bring about light from darkness and life from death. This is something my friend Mujtaba from Iran, which is number nine on the world watch list, experienced for himself. Mujtaba was with me in, uh, in Northern Ireland um, in 2020. It was March 2020. You should all maybe be chasing back to what happened at that time and what that felt like at that time. We were planning these events with Mujtaba traveling around in different churches and we were watching the news waiting for the regulations on mass gatherings to come into force. And they were publicly announced them on the Friday, I think, or the Thursday. And our events were the Saturday and the Sunday. And um, we watched and nothing came into force here. So we went ahead with these events and we did them. And I was so glad we did because I got to hear Mujtaba's story and see it be told each night and then Mujtaba went to England and all the events there were cancelled as the regulations changed uh, but as Mujtaba told his story I had no idea what that message of lockdown and isolation that he experienced in Iran how that was going to affect me and inspire me in the two years that we went through our own lockdown Mujtaba was arrested for leading a secret house church much like Pastor Milad and he was imprisoned in the infamous Evan prison for over three years. And what I love about Mujtaba's story is that he doesn't claim to be a hero. He says, when I first went into prison, I thought it's about my sin. It's about my faults, what I've done wrong, and that God is punishing me. He says, one day God spoke to me and he felt it strongly. He said, Mujtaba, stop being selfish. If you're in prison now, it's not about you. It's about me. Look around yourself. And Mujtaba did, and he saw these other prisoners, these people that had done bad things, he says. I saw these gates, these doors, these big locks, and how secure it is that no one can enter this prison and start to tell people about Jesus. And I felt God saying that that's why I was there. And there was this man called Muhammad, who you can imagine was a Muslim, and he came at Mujtaba one day, and he wanted to argue with him. He'd heard about all these people becoming Christians because of Mujtaba. So he singled him out and he went and he argued, trying to discredit Jesus. And Mujtaba admitted that he wasn't up for this argument. And again, he didn't claim to be a superhero. It's perhaps the worst evangelism technique you've ever heard. Because he basically said, I just wanted to get rid of Muhammad. So I told him that your argument isn't with me, it's with Jesus himself. So go and take it up with him. He said, what do you mean? And Mujtaba said, go and when you go to bed tonight, just say, Jesus, if you're there, Speak to me. And Muhammad went away, and Mujtaba thought, great. He relaxed, and he went to sleep. And the next morning, Muhammad came back at him again. And Mujtaba thought, oh, no, here we go again. And Muhammad came, and as he approached him, Mujtaba saw that his face had changed completely. He was glowing. And Muhammad said, you won't believe what happened to me. 
says, you need to know that I am on death row. And he was a bad man. He'd, he'd, he'd committed multiple murders. He was a drug lord. He, uh, the charges against him were huge. So he was facing the death penalty. And he says, much about every time I go to sleep, all I can think about is death, death, death. And I hardly sleep a wink. I'm so scared. But last night, I did what you said. I said, Jesus, if you're there, speak to me. And I slept like that. I slept all night like a baby. And I've never, I can't remember the last time I slept like that. And I woke up this morning and instead of death, 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 all I could think about is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So please, will you tell me about him? And this man was discipled, converted by uh, this, this conversation. And the two of them stayed friends for six months as much to help him get to know Jesus and follow him. And eventually they were separated. And a couple of years later, Mujtaba remembered Muhammad and he asked one of the guards what had happened to him and he said he was killed last week. And Mujtaba said that was the best day of my whole time in prison because I knew this man had been brought from death to life, that his life had been turned around and he was now with his saviour. Mujtaba saw this incredible position he'd been given. He said, I never prayed for God to release me from prison. It doesn't matter what situation I'm in. I can work in God's kingdom wherever God places me. It doesn't matter if it's in prison or out of prison because persecution will take the gospel to places where nothing else can do it. That's how God's always worked. He's always advanced his, his kingdom through suffering and persecution because out of that comes the victory. Look at verse 16 with me for a moment. Paul says resurrection power is at work in us daily. He says we're being renewed day by day. Notice the present tense, it's continuous. That spiritual growth is more important than the outward appearance. And that doesn't fit with our 21st century culture, does it? Where it looks like we need to be all sorted and, and together. But actually, we know that suffering changes something on the inside of us. And Jesus uh, modeled that and he lived that for himself. And hardship and suffering pushes that perseverance in our lives. And perseverance pushes depth and character into what we do as we follow him. And Paul wrote those famous words in Romans 5, 4. Rejoice in suffering. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. Here's our third and final reason for hope. Imagine I had some scales with me in my hands, like the ones on the screen right now. And then on this side, we're going to place all the things in this life that are hard, that knock us down. And on this side is our future for us if we're followers of Jesus. This is essentially what Paul does here. And if you want to read Paul's own list, go to 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 28, where he lists his pain and suffering that he puts on this side of the scales. He says he's been imprisoned frequently, flogged, beaten with lashes and rods. He was stoned, he was shipwrecked, he was in constant danger. He was on the run, he was hounded out of cities. He was hated and despised. He went without sleep and food. He was left cold and naked. Paul knew what it was like to suffer. What would you add to that side of the scales today? COVID-19, cancer, Broken relationships, depression, grief, anxiety, doubt. Whatever is in that side is heavy and it's hard. And life is hard. And Paul knew that. But he says this eternal glory is always in view. He's always looking to the future. In verse 16 to 17, he says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, 
Inwardly, we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles, he says, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. You might say, Paul, are you crazy? Look at all that stuff. You might say, Poe, look at those choices, vegetable. look what following Jesus has done to you. But somehow they've grasped, like Paul, this incredible reality that is still to come. Sop lives in a village tucked between jagged mountains and paddy fields in the northernmost part of Laos, which is number 26 on the world watch list. Growing up, Sop knew only Buddhism. And one day he stumbled across an old man listening to a Thai Christian radio station. And he heard about Jesus for the first time and he was amazed. And he chose to follow Jesus. And that got him in trouble. Again, like Poe, the village chief, heard about his faith. And he gave him an ultimatum. If you don't stop worshipping your God, go to jail or leave the village. Sop refused. His pigs were poisoned. His rice farm was set on fire. His children were discriminated against in school. And finally, Sop and his family were kicked out of the village. With all that he went through, Sop refused to stop sharing the gospel even beginning to begin, began to hold worship gatherings in his home. With help from open doors, he learned to read and write and to teach others to do so. And he um, even helped teach those in his village that had persecuted him in the first place. And he says this, I'm always reminded that if people try to kill me for my faith, the Bible says not to be afraid. They can kill my body, but not my soul. If they want to kill me, I have no problem with it, for I know where I'm going after we live in this tension where life is hard but the eternal glory is far better and outweighs them all and Paul says so we fix our eyes not on what is seen for what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal if our persecuted family were just to focus on this they would have no hope where do we place our hope today what are we fixing our eyes on? Eyes on? Are we fixing on the things that are seen or the things that are unseen? We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. At the beginning, I told you about Po from Vietnam. I just want to round off his story for us today. With Open Door's help, he received persecution preparedness training. And this has helped him understand why his family persecuted him. But, and they say, he says that, I, I pray that one day my parents and my family will accept Jesus Christ. And then thanks to support from churches like yours, Open Doors have been able to buy land for Poe and build him and his family a new home. He says, I'm thankful for this house. It gives us a home we can call our own, where we can continue to follow Christ, where we can pray and read the Bible to our children. I praise God for his continued protection over my family and me. Thank you to everyone who has helped me and my family. I'm very thankful for the supporters who continue to remember me and my family in their prayers. I pray for blessings from God above for you and your families. There's a letter of thanks and blessing from Poe, your brother in Christ.
So this morning, I want to invite you to sign up, as I said, to receive uh, emails and prayer updates. And I'll be out there in the foyer, and there's some copies of some of those magazines and newsletters and prayer diaries that you can receive, as well as those packs for the children. I'd love to give you one of those. If you've never received our material before, please consider signing up. You can do that on our website, or there's a form out there that helps you to do that too. Let us, let's just pray as we close. Father God, we remember all those who suffer for following you. The widows and the orphans, the grieving and the lost, those in prison, those in exile, those who are broken and beaten, those who are wounded and weary, those who do not count the cost, but who risk everything to proclaim the light and life of the kingdom of God in places of darkness and death. Be with them today, we pray. And Lord God, grant us, your followers, the fire of your presence to guide our footsteps, ward off our enemies, lighten our darkness, and ignite our faith. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.